0: Welcome to STD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at ccoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, well, let's thank them for leading us this morning in worship. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, good morning. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, I want to give you a special shout out. I'm glad that you are uh, a part of this new series that we started last week. Um, and this new series is called Stopping Points. And so here's kind of the basic idea. Is um, our faith, those of us who are following Jesus, our faith is a journey. And I don't know why in one of our meetings we came up with, I think it was my idea, it just popped in my head. Um, I, I, yeah is a train. Okay? I thought, you know what? It's kind of like being on a train ride. And then we said that, and then they're like, we you could a train on stage. I'm like, yeah, you should do that. And then here it is. It showed up, and there's a train. And they told me um, that they've been working on this train, and that they've been adding like extra features during the week. Let me see if this, is, this thing works or not here. Is that, you see anything? Is that? It's a little weak, I gotta be honest. <laughs> Kind of vaping is what it is. It's not even really smoking. Anyway, all right. Um, and so the basic idea is this, is that um, as we follow Jesus as his disciples on this, this journey, um, he has offered us a free ticket. And that was provided on the cross. And that was what Easter was all about. He says, just simply follow me. And so as we follow him, um, we may encounter these different stopping points. And these different stopping points are a time in which we get to decide, is this where we stop our journey following Jesus? Or is this a decision we get to make to continue uh, moving forward? And so we've been talking about different stopping points. And so this week we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite stopping point, money. Money. Yes, yes, I know. You're excited. I'm excited. If you're enrooted, you thought, oh my goodness, I thought we were done with this. We just went through the finance week and here we are. It's almost like we timed it. Anyway, um, so here's what I want to do real quick to get you, uh, to get you in the right mindset. Uh, I have this theory that, uh, you know, depending on what culture you're in, the things that they value the most, they have different words or slang or phrases for. And so I want you to just take a moment and think of all the slang words, all the phrases that uh, describe money in our culture. Okay, so just take a minute, maybe 30 seconds, 60 seconds, come up with different words that describe money in our culture. Go. All right, tell some people around you. All right. Let's see. I'm going to start. I'll start over on this side of the room today. Uh, what do you got? Just yell out a couple. Cheddar. Cheddar. Thank you. Yeah. Dough. What? Yeah. Stacks. Yep. Stacks. Bacon. Bacon moolah. Okay. You're going to get all of them. Let's go to this one. What else you got? Skrilla. Skrilla. That's what's up, dude. <laughs> I didn't think he was going to. I wrote that one down and I was like, no way anyone's going to get this one. It's that's my, that's my dude in the second row. Okay. Uh, let's go over here. What do you guys got? Dockets? Is that what you said? Ducats. Benjamins. Bread. De Niro. Lettuce. A lot of food here. Okay. All right. What about here? What do you got? Greenbacks. Moolah. Wait, what was that? Cabbage. Cabbage. Are we just making a salad? Is that what we're doing? Just all the ingredients of a salad represents money. All right. Let me see if there's any. I wrote down, I jotted down a couple. Let me see if I, I thought of a, a C note. Anybody come up with that? How about a dead president? Ah, okay. All right. Uh, we had, I think we had stacks and did we have racks? Stacks and racks. Okay. Uh, paper. That was pretty obvious. Um, I think we came up with bacon, moolah, scratch, loot. Ah, there you go. So um, for those of you, what's that? Crypto. Crypto. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Give it a little bit of time. We'll see if it's real money or not. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's good. So if you are not a church person and you've come here, maybe someone invited you, they dragged you here, you came on Easter, so you decided to come back, and you thought, this is exactly why I don't go to church, is they're going to they're talk about two things. They're going to talk about money and sex, and they're going to tell me what I can and cannot do with both of them. And here's the good news. If you're like not a church person, if you're not a Christian, you're just checking this whole thing out, you're skeptical of this talk is not for you. All right. In fact, um, we don't want anything from you. We don't want you to feel pressured. We want you just to observe, to learn. You might get some insights into finances, um, but we don't want anything. In fact, we so don't want you to feel pressured that we're, we've stopped passing out the offering buckets, if you've noticed, right? Those don't go around because you're like, oh, geez, I got to drop. No, we don't want that. We don't want anything from you because um, our people are so generous that we only have to put them in the back or online because they are so excited to give. Right, guys? Yeah. We'll see if you still feel that way at the end of this message. Now, if you are uh, a Christian, you say, yes, um, Jesus is my Lord. I I follow him. What I want to do is I want to shoot you straight here, okay? Is one of the temptations as a pastor is to avoid this topic because it can be something that causes some emotions in us, usually negative emotions. And uh, and so what I want to do is I want to try to minimize or explain away anything that Jesus says about money. And I'm also not going to try to sell you on anything. I'm just simply going to tell you, here's what Jesus says about um, how we as Christians should view our finances. And so right up front, um, I'm just going to warn you, I, I knew this was coming. I did this talk last night. I was correct. It's going to get weird in here, okay? It's going to get weird in here. Uh, you might get angry. You definitely will get uncomfortable at times. Um, but I want you to pay attention to the tension that you feel, if you do at all. Is I want you to just, if you kind of start to, Ooh, white knuckle a little bit and you start to tense up, I want you to just pay attention because if you think about it, money should not be an emotional topic. We're talking about dead faces on paper and numbers on an account. And yet it, it is highly emotional for us. And so if you start to feel that, I want you just to pay attention because that might be telling you something. So uh, I'm going to go through two interactions that Jesus has with some wealthy guys. And they're very different interactions, different outcomes, but I think we can learn something from both of them. So we're going to be in Matthew 19, if you have your Bibles, Bible app, or you can just watch on the screens. Here's what it says. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. Now, already Jesus is trying to tell him, you're not going to like where this conversation goes, because you've called me good. But we know that there's only one person who is good, that is God. And there's nothing you can do, or or, or you and I can do, to be a good person. But Jesus is going to play along, he'll continue on. Okay, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus starts listing off some of the Ten Commandments, but he skips the first couple. And he goes directly to the commandments that deal with how we interact with one another. Really, the commandments can be divided into two different categories. How we relate to each other and how we relate to God. This is why Jesus summarizes all of the commandments with love God and love other people. And this guy says, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now, think about it. Jesus just said, do not lie. And his response is, I've never lied before. What? (laughs) You're lying right now about not lying. Of course you've lied. Everybody has lied. And it's almost like he lacks this self-awareness. He doesn't see in himself his flaws. Have you ever met anybody like that before? No, you never met anybody like that where you just see, see something so obvious in them and you go, how do you not see what everybody else sees right now? It's just obvious that there is this issue. There is this flaw. And it's okay. We all have issues. issues. We've got to acknowledge them. But there's just some people you just go, it is painfully obvious. And yet you seem to be blind to this thing. Well, that seems to be what's taking place with this guy is he seems to be blind. And so Jesus is going to expose not only what he is blind to, but why he's blind to it in a moment. But if you know this story, this is the story of um, of the rich young ruler. Very famous story. And this guy, he is a guy who has it all together. So you think about him, he's not only financially, is he doing well, he got a great job, got tons of money, but morally, he, he's an upright, um, good guy. He's, he's got it together. Even religiously, he probably leads a small group or a rooted group in the CLC. Like he, He's a good dude. He's the kind of person whom you want your daughter to date. And yet he comes to Jesus and he says, there's still a part of my life that's not quite right. There's still a piece that's missing. Now, I don't know his motivation. Maybe he's being authentic and he's like, there really is something that's missing in my life. Or maybe he's going, hey, look, I got it all together. Do you think anything's missing? I don't know what. I don't know what his motivation is. But he comes to Jesus with the question, am I doing enough to earn my way into heaven? Or am I missing something? And this assumption that he's making is really the assumption that all other religions make in the world is that we can do enough to impress God and earn our way into heaven. If you do more good than bad, God's going to be pleased with you, and he's going to give you eternal life. But what he doesn't realize is he has based his question on a faulty assumption that he can do something to impress God, and that whatever that thing is that he needs to do will just be a nice little add-on to his life, just a missing piece of the puzzle. Maybe he needs to pray 20 more minutes a day, and he needs to take a, a trip to a holy site, and then he's going to have it all figured out. But Jesus answers... If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. So Jesus is giving him a heart check. Okay, so you want eternal life. And you've come as a religious person saying that God is the most important person in my life. Prove it. Give all of your money away to the poor. What he's doing here is he's calling calling his bluff. Put your money where your mouth is. Don't just say that you love God. Show me how much you love God. And he throws out this challenge, give away everything, and you will have treasures in heaven. Jesus, he keeps account differently than most of us do. Most of the world, the way that um, we tell if we are winning in life or not is our bank accounts. But the way that Jesus keeps account is by treasures in heaven, meaning souls, people who are won into the kingdom. He finishes with, then come and follow me. He very quickly realizes that when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's not just saying, come and and check this out. What he's saying here is he's saying, come and give me your entire life. I want everything. We like part of that. And part of it is we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, take all the bad things in my life. So take all the things that I've done wrong, my sin, the regret, the shame, all these burdens that I have, and put them upon your shoulders, and then you will forgive me for those. And that's true. That's what happened on the cross. But that's only half of it. Because he says, I don't want just the good or the bad things. I want the good things as well. I want all your future hopes and dreams. I want to determine what your schedule and what you do with your body, what you do with your money and your relationships. I don't want just some of your life. I want the entire thing. It's an all or nothing kind of deal. Either you give me your entire life or you can keep it, but I don't want just half of it. And so this is what he requires. He says, come and follow me and give me everything. I think part of the uh, mistake that the rich young ruler made was he thought that there was just a piece of his life that was missing, and then Jesus responded with, no, there's not just a piece missing, there's like the entire point of your life that's missing, and that's me. And so um, we were discussing at staff this, this last week because I was preparing for this talk, and so I, I threw it out at our Devo time, and, and one of the things that we realized was it's, it's pretty easy to follow Jesus when he gives you what you want— But it's really difficult to follow Jesus when you have to give what you really want. Like when you have to do something that costs you. When it goes from all the things that Jesus is giving me to all the things that Jesus requires of me. And that's why for many people, when their faith starts to cost them something, they hit a stopping point. And they pause and they think, do I want to continue following Jesus? Because it was really nice at first, but now we've come to the stopping point. Now I have to decide— Is this still worth it? And so what Jesus does is he aims directly at the thing that is most important to him. And he says, that's what I want. So, rich ruler, what's he going to do? He's at a stopping point. He has to decide, is this where I stop or do I continue on in this pursuit of Jesus? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, in that moment, when Jesus gave him a heart check, it revealed what he truly loved— He said all day long, I love God, number one, Woo, worship him. Okay, give away your money. I'm good. I'm good. The word here um, used for sad can also be translated as grieved. And it's the same word used a few chapters later when we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus was praying in the Garden, he knew what he was about to have to endure. He was about to go to the cross. And not only was he physically going to have to endure, but he emotionally and spiritually was going to have to endure the loss of the relationship with his heavenly father. It says, as he was praying, he was grieved. See, money for the rich young ruler was what the heavenly father was to Jesus. Everything. He was grieved because he lost the thing that was most important to him. For Jesus, that's his heavenly father. For the rich young ruler, this was his money. I think part of the reason why um, maybe he went away sad was because he, he didn't, he didn't approach Jesus, uh, maybe he approached Jesus with a misconception. So he comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do? Hold on, teacher? Teacher is the popular con- uh, conception of Jesus. See, if you hear about Jesus in, in, in the world, you would hear, oh, he's a great moral teacher. He's a, uh, a philosopher. He's a, and we think he's here to give us good advice on how to live here, do these tips, do these things, and you're going to have a better life, and maybe you'll even get to go to heaven one day. And Jesus doesn't respond as a teacher, hey, here's a couple pointers, maybe to have a better day. He says, no, I want your life. He responds, not as a teacher, but as a king. And he wasn't prepared to respond to a king. And that's another stopping point for many of us, is when we realize that the real Jesus is not the conception of Jesus that we had in our minds. We came to Jesus as somebody who's going to be our homeboy. And he comes along and says, "Now nah, I'm your king. And then we have to decide. Stopping point or do we follow? Jesus never gives us like this in between. I wish he did. I wish he would simply allow us to like him or even be indifferent. But he gets right up in our face and he says, no, no, I want that thing. He doesn't allow us to just simply like him. He says either love me and follow me as king or walk away. But you don't get to just sit around. Rich Young Ruler says that this is his stopping point. Before the journey even really began of following Jesus, he decided he was going to walk away. Now, obviously, I think this is like a horrible decision to walk away from Jesus, but I will tell you one thing. I at least respect this guy because he doesn't do what you and I do, which is make excuses or be apathetic to Jesus' call on our life. At least he acknowledges it and says, I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. Like, I've been in ministry for a long time. I've been around ministry my entire life. And I have yet to see somebody acknowledge the fact that they have hit a stopping point and they no longer will be following Jesus. Like, people do it all the time. I see it happening. But no one ever comes to me and says, you know, I know that Jesus wants me to do this. And I have decided I do not want to do that. And so I am no longer going to follow Jesus' commands. Okay, all right, at least we're, we all are acknowledging what's happening here. Most people, what they do is, um, they're deciding, I'm not going to do what Jesus says, and so what I'm going to do is, I'm going I'm to come up with some excuses, or I'm just going to ignore the fact that I'm not doing what he called me to do, and um, I'm going to be disobedient. I call these smoke screens. So smoke screens are um, when we're confronted with a dip- difficult topic or a question, and so we create a diversion or a distraction to avoid dealing with it. And so right now in your mind, as you are thinking through the implications of, oh my goodness, what is he telling me about me and my money? You're coming up with smoke screens, I'm guessing, excuses of why this doesn't apply to you. So here's one of the things that maybe is coming to your mind, totally guessing. Um, Well, this doesn't apply to me because he's talking to wealthy people. I'm not wealthy. (laughs) I'm not rich. I barely make enough money to get by. And so this clearly doesn't apply to me. Now, if Jesus wasn't already bothering you, here's what he says in Luke 21. He says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in the offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. So, she's very poor. She comes in with her last two pennies. She puts them in the offering. And Jesus doesn't go, whoa, 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 hold on. You're poor. This is just for wealthy people to do. No, he says, good for you. You have proven that your faith really is in God. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you're like, how am I going to pay for this next meal? Which, by the way, is not a problem for any of us. How am I going to pay for this? Jesus reminds us. To look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And so I don't think he would buy the whole, "Ah, you know, I can't afford to give. I would imagine Jesus' response might be something like, you can't afford not to give. Because your and I, our generosity should never be based upon our circumstances, I'll give when I can give, when I feel like it's going to be a good time for me to give. No, 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 no. That's not what generosity is about. Generosity is about trust. Will God provide for me or not? If he will provide for me, and I do trust him in this, then I can be generous. It's not about circumstances. It's about our faith. The other uh, smokescreen that might be going off in your mind right now is something like, well, I don't know where the church spends its money. Like, you don't email me the budget. I haven't approved any spending around here. <laughs> what you're really saying is, I don't trust the leadership to use my money wisely. Now, if this is, if this is you, um, the first thing that I would probably point out is, if you come here and you, you're a part of this church, and you trust us to advise you spiritually, which I'm assuming is why you're here today, but you don't trust us to be responsible with your giving, your priorities are way out of whack. Like here's the, this is what I imagine. My sister um, just had a baby in well, a She's like uh, three months old now. And if she came to you and she said, oh, would you like to hold her? Which she won't do, by the way. She won't allow you to. <laughs> I just got, I just got, I was just able to recently. It was great. Um, and she said, yes, please, you can, you can hold my baby but then she refused to let you hold her cup of coffee because she was afraid that you might drop it, I would say your priorities are out of whack. You're more concerned with spilling the coffee than you are with dropping your child on the ground. I would say the same is true, is if if you will allow the church to guide you spiritually, but you do not think that we can steward the funds well, your priorities are out of whack. Let me take a quick detour. Oh, I got a clap out of that. It's okay. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. You will talk later. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> let me break this down really quick. Um, rooted, they just went through this and, and maybe give you a couple bullet points about what we've talked about in there when it uh, comes to giving and tithing. Is If you go back to the Old Testament, some of you guys, are, this is a totally foreign concept to you, is in the Old Testament, we see that um, the people of Israel were commanded to give a 10% tithe. And so what it was is they would bring in their harvest, was represented their wealth, and the first 10% of their harvest would go directly back to the temple as a tithe. And what it was was this is representing that, God, you are my first priority. And so the first 10% is going to you. Now, there would be additional giving as well. It would go up to like 23% in in total. But the first 10% is going to be directly back to God. Because it's a lot Easier to say that God is our first priority. It's a lot harder to show him. And so the good news is, is that as we look back on this Old Testament tithe in um, the law, we are no longer bound by that. Meaning we don't live under the law. We live under what's called grace. And so we're not bound to 10% anymore. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. We now are bound by the law of Christ. And so now our standard for giving is not what does the law require of me, but what does Jesus require of me? And if Jesus is my standard for giving, what would Jesus give? Oh. You see where this is heading? Yeah. Yeah. He would give a lot more than 10% of his life. He would give all of it. He was willing to give up any and everything for us and did. And so when it comes to our standard of giving, it's not what is the bare minimum? What does the law require? It is what is the standard that Jesus has set for me? What does he want? Everything. That's why he calls the rich young ruler and he says, "Give away all of your wealth." Now I'm not saying that God has asked us to sacrificially give away our entire lives. Although, you know, that has happened throughout church history, but here's what I do know. He has called us to give sacrificially of our lifestyle. Is he wants us to give more than we are comfortable giving? And if the the baseline is is 10% in the Old Testament and yet we now have a fuller view and revelation of who God is and what he's willing to do on our behalf, then that starts to look like a bare minimum. Which some of you guys are just inside just going, oh, 10%. I don't even know how I would do. We'll get there. Ephesians says that Christ died for the church. Which is why we as Christians, we give to the church. And, and look, this is kind of weird for me to say, because it feels a little self-serving. But the, the Bible says that we give to the church first, because Christ died for the church. He was willing to sacrifice everything for the church. And so when we think about, well, where are we supposed to sacrifice? What does it mean to give back to God? It means we're supposed to give to the very place that Jesus gave to, the church. So let me get back to the question real quick. And I'll, I'll give you some real concrete, uh, concrete answer. Is you're thinking about, well, where, where does the church, because there has been a lot of churches that have spent their money incorrectly, haven't been honest with it, I will fully admit that. And, and the biblical model is that God has called certain people in order to do certain roles and responsibilities in the church. So for example, he's called me to preach. He probably didn't call you to preach, and you may be wishing he didn't call me to preach, but that's kind of where we're at right now. And he's called other people to help lead in different arenas. And one of those is with the finances. And so we have to trust that God has brought up those people and they're going to steward those resources correctly by seeking God and understanding, okay, here's where God is calling us to to fund those resources. Now, um, I believe that if you do your part, which is I'm supposed to give generously, and then it's up to them. Meaning it's now between you and God how you steward that money. And we know that. Part of the the leadership here, as being a part of the leadership here, I realize that when you give, now I'm accountable for what you've given to God. And that's a pretty big burden to bear. Because not only am I personally responsible for what I give, but now I'm responsible for what you have given that I have to steward that well. And so what we've done as a church is we've created uh, tons of checks and balances. Things like we have an elder board that looks at every single dime that is spent here. Not a dime can get spent without an entire board of people looking at it. We have a CPA on staff. We have an outside firm that comes in and gives us an annual audit. We have outside firms that come and set salaries to help us figure out what. It's not like I get to go, Doyle, your sermon was awesome. He goes, Cody, your sermon was awesome. You deserve a raise. No, you deserve a raise. <laughs> Let's write, let, yes, I'll write you a raise, you write me a raise. Perfect. No, that's not how this works. I don't get to, I don't even, I couldn't even write a check if I wanted to around here. It's because we want to make sure that we keep everything above board because we know that we're accountable to God. And so let's just call it what it is. Is the reason why you are not a generous person and don't give is not because of these smoke screens. Can we just be honest? It's just because this is a stopping point for you. Jesus has commanded you to do something. You're trying to make excuses not to do it. That doesn't change the fact that you haven't done it. And so therefore, this is a stopping point in which you say, I'd rather not follow Jesus any longer. It is what it is. I know it sounds harsh. I know it sounds mean. But just wait until you hear what Jesus says. (laughs) Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. Let me give you an updated version of what he's saying because we don't really deal with camels a lot. Okay, here's what it would be updated. A rich person doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting into heaven. (laughs) Ooh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Um, Here's Jesus' point. The reason why it's so difficult for a rich person to get into heaven, which by the way, that's all of us in this room, right? We're sitting in air conditioning, we have lights, we probably drove in a car. All of us are rich. He says the reason why it's so difficult for all of us to get into heaven is because money acts as a pseudo-savior in our life. It promises us that it can do things that only God can do. It can give us security, it can bring satisfaction into our life, it can do all the things that really only God can do. And so we begin to lean in and trust in our money more than we trust in God. And the insidious nature of greed is that it blinds us to the very existence of the fact that we are greedy I think money is a lot like sex in that it is a gift that God has given us. It's an incredible gift, and yet it is fragile. And so if we use it correctly, it can be life-giving. But if we misuse it, it can bring destruction. It's a little bit like playing with fire. And if we don't use it exactly how God has designed it, it can have devastating effects in our life. There's consequences um, for misusing any of the gifts that God gives us, including money. One of, it, uh, one of the consequences of refusing to let God be in complete control of our finances is it just simply makes us anxious. Like when I'm not in control of my money and I say, God, here is my money. Do with it what you want. You know what happens? It frees me from having to try to protect what I have and get more and consume more. When I come with open hands, it just goes, God, this is yours. Do with it what you want. I'm fine with whatever happens. Take it or leave it. But when it's all mine, and I'm in control of it, which initially sounds really nice. It ends up becoming something that controls me. I become a slave to the money that I thought I was using for my benefit. So the image that comes to my mind is um, Lord of the Rings Gollum. You remember Gollum? You know, and he has the ring. And, oh, my pretty, you know, and he just looks at it and he loves it. and he just, And what happens is he just gets more and more consumed by it. And it has more and more power over him. And he doesn't realize it, but it's transforming him to something that's grotesque. He becomes a slave to this thing. And that's what happens with us as we start to look at whether we have a lot of money or a little bit of money, it just consumes us. It has power over us, and it just transforms us, and eventually it controls us. The other consequence of, of the—by of the, the way, Doyle and I already have a conversation um, about this, but— uh, about this message, and we're talking about the uh, idea of just being a generous person and, and some of the generous people that we know. And I think the, gener- the, the people that I know that are generous, well, the thing that they have in common is not how much money they have. They can have a lot, they can have a little. It's, it's the lack of anxiety that they have about money. Like everybody that I know that is generous and gives freely, they just are no longer enslaved to it. Whether they got money coming in or they don't, they just go, you know what? God's going to take care of it. It's fine. Like there's this incredible freedom that they've experienced because they've opened up their hands because this is how most of us do it. And they've gone like this and they just go, okay, God, it's yours. And they just walk through life like this. And it's a constant struggle. I was praying just this morning. I go, God, I kind of feel like I'm here right now and I need to be here with my finances. And there's just just freedom. I've never met a person who is generous and, and is anxious about money. I've also never met a person who is generous and says, man, I just, I wish I wasn't so generous. I look back and I'm like, I could have had more stuff. (laughs) Nobody's ever said that. The other thing is, is Jesus says that we're going to be held accountable for what we do with his finances. Jesus comes and he says, um, he says in another parable later on, he, he says, all the resources I've given you, specifically your finances, all of those are actually not yours, they're mine. You're a manager of my finances. I'm the owner. You're the manager. And he says that one day he's going to return and he's going to say, now, what did you do with what I have given you? And already some of us object and go, no, 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 that's not God's money. That's my money. Really? Your money, huh? Did you create the world? No. Did you create yourself? Oh, did you determine when and where you were going to be born? How about the gifts and resources and opportunities you were given? Did you determine any of those things? No? No, I think it's yours then. I think it's his. And what he says is one day he's going to come back and he's going to say, now what did you do with all the resources that I let you steward, that I let you manage? Now, I've used this illustration more, but it just always makes sense to me. Kind of like this is Jesus, one day we're going to be face to face with him and we're going to be talking about our lives. And then we're going to come to the the issue of finances. And he's going to go, look, here's the good news. (laughs) I'm a great accountant. Like I'm probably the best accountant. I have an Excel sheet. Here is all the things that I've given you over your entire life. You see that number at the bottom? That's all the money that I allowed you to steward, that I allow you to manage over your lifetime. And you'll see here all the different categories that you spent it in. And so look at these restaurants that you ate at. Oh, that's nice. Oh, anniversary. I see that, you know. And he goes through and he goes, oh, cars. Okay, cool. And you got a home. Oh, that's great. And then, man, you look at how much cool. This is awesome. I love to spoil you. But my favorite part is the next page. The next page is the generosity page. I can't wait to see what you did. Where's the page? This is it? You spent it all on you? I didn't give it to you for you. I gave it to you so that you could be a manager of it to give to other people freely. Why would you spend it all on yourself? Jesus actually tells us what his response will be. Again, if you're angry, talk to Jesus about this. Because I'm not saying this. This is Jesus. Here's what he says. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, here's the crucial verse. He says this. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, that's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. You ever wonder why Jesus got crucified? He said stuff like that. The irony of it is most of us are more willing to give to the government than we are to God. Is, is, and I think the, part of the reason is that we're more willing to give to the government, pay our taxes, is because we believe that there's consequences if we don't give to the government, which there is. But we don't believe that there's consequences if we don't give back to God. And Jesus says, uh-uh, I will make the IRS look like a bunch of sweethearts. <laughs> the rich young ruler, when he stood face to face with Jesus, he was looking into the eyes of the true rich young ruler. You've got to realize Jesus was probably 31, 32 at the time. He's speaking to this man who has done well financially. And this guy probably thinks he's got it all together. And what he doesn't realize is he's looking in the face of the person who actually has all the wealth in the world. Because he owns the world. And he has a much more vast kingdom than this guy could ever imagine because it's all his. And yet, he steps out of heaven, away from the things that he treasures the most, into his creation so that he can come and meet with us. And here's what I think Jesus might say to us. If I am willing to give so much to come to you, why are you not willing to give so little to come to me? These trinkets that you have that you're just going to have for a short amount of time. You're unwilling to give those up in order to come to me. I'm offering you eternal life right now. And yet you're saying no because that is more important. Here's the good news. And I'll be really quick is um, I did this last night too. I have a whole second part of the sermon that I wrote. We're not even going to get to it today. So anyway, maybe next week. No, not next week because you won't come back. We'll do it another week. (laughs) There's this other interaction that Jesus has. And it goes completely different than this. Uh, just a couple chapters later, Jesus runs into this man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is also a wealthy individual, except he's got his wealth by being the chief tax collector. Meaning he's ripped his people off, and not only has he ripped them off, but he has, he's like at the top of the org chart of tax collectors. And he goes and he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, I want to come and I want to eat with you at your house. So he invites him into his home, and he realizes who Jesus is. Jesus is not just another teacher. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. In this moment, everything changes because he realizes what is on offer here. And so I'll pick it up in verse 8. It says this, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus doesn't even ask him for anything. He just jumps up and goes, if you are the Messiah, if you are offering eternal life, this is the least that I can do. And so here, take away 50% of my income. It's all yours, all my wealth, all my future earnings. And if I've cheated anybody, pay him back four times. Four. I just want you to take it all because I don't want anything to stand between me and you, especially something like money. How silly would that be? And so in that moment, he makes a decision. It could have been a stopping point like the rich young ruler. Is this where I stop? He could have done what you and I do, which is what's the bare minimum I can do and still follow Jesus? 10%, okay, I'm gonna do 10%. Okay, great. No, 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 no. He says, I wanna be so far away from the thing that has been a barrier between me and God that I wanna be just generous to where it's beyond any question if I've kept anything for myself. It's all yours. What do you want from me? And here's how Jesus responds. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. What Jesus does with both of these figures is he draws a direct connection between Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler and what they do with their money and their salvation. Not because we can buy our way into heaven, that's, that's the complete opposite. It's because the gift of eternal life is just that, it's a gift. It's not something we can earn, it's something we must accept by giving over our entire life, 100% of it. But the indicator if we have done that is, well, what do you do with your money? Have you given it over or not? And so in this moment, he says, I want to give you my life. And so that means giving you everything, including what I have put my trust in, my money. So the the question always arises at the end of a talk like this. All right, Cody, what am I supposed to do? What do I do? Huh? You made me feel guilty. I probably should be doing this. What am I supposed to do? And the honest answer is, I don't know. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't have like a here's a hard and fast answer. C.S. Lewis says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. So the standard for giving is Jesus. How much did Jesus give? He gave sacrificially, meaning we have to sacrifice to give. It's not just here. I can afford to give. It's, this, make, this has to change my lifestyle because I give so much. So for the rich young ruler, that was everything. Give it all away. For Zacchaeus, it was 50%. It was most of his future earnings. It was four times. He's probably left with very little at the end of that. The baseline throughout the Bible is 10%. It's a good place to start. And So I want to be really transparent with you. And I didn't grow up in a church where we talked about this, so Amy and I were both pastor's kids, and, and we had a different model. We, we always valued generosity, but it was always something that was kind of kept hidden in secret. You know, it's like up to you, and it's about you. And I just went, no, nah, I don't think that's right. Like, I think we should probably talk about this stuff. And so, so here's, here's the honest truth, and I don't say this to try to boast or anything like that, just so I'm transparent. When Amy and I first got married, um, it was a non-negotiable that we were going to tithe. It wasn't even a discussion. We both knew that's what we were supposed to do, and so we started tithing. And over the years, um, we've always tithed 10%. Right off the bat, first check goes directly back to God. But then we started to realize, you know, we don't want to just be people who are doing the the bare minimum. We want people who are fully invested in the kingdom. And so I told you guys at the beginning of 2020, I said, this year, um, Amy and I have dedicated, we're going to give away 20% of our income. Because, you know, 2020 was a great year. Uh, A lot of stability, a lot of things going in the right direction. So we thought, let's do it. Um, and so we said, okay, we're going to do 20%. And then we just talked the other day and we said, then in the next two years we're going to do another 20%. And then, you know, there's things that come up where we see needs and we want to meet those needs. So we have a trip coming up that I'm going on to Guatemala to see our ministry partners that a lot of us have sponsored. And so that'll be another thing that we're going to give to. And here's the deal. You might go, wow, he must have a lot of money. I do not. I do not have a lot of money. You might even think I'm being irresponsible if you were my financial advisor. And yet... It just depends on what you trust and what your priorities are. And so um, Amy and I have kind of said, here's what we're going to do. Every year we set our budget and we start with what are we going to give this year before we look at any of our bills. Most people do the opposite. All right, here's what I have to pay and then here's what I'm going to give God. What's left over? We go, nope, here's what we're going to give, 20%. I don't know how the other numbers are going to come together because it doesn't financially make sense, although it worked out. And we're going to figure out what we're supposed to give, and then we're going to go from there. And then we create a plan, and then we stick to it. And so one of the things in my story is I came from the business world. And um, if you had known me during that time, I thought almost exclusively about getting more money. It was a huge stronghold in my life. And I've I've had to, it's almost like an addiction to where I've had to say, okay, you know what, Amy, I don't want that to become a stronghold again. I feel like I'm finally getting freedom from that. And so I used to check the bank account all the time. You know what I do now? I don't know the login. What? I don't know the login. She looks at it. I go, are we on budget? Everything good? Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to look at it then. Some of you guys click on there all day. Like, what? Where where did you spend that? What are you doing? I just go, no, no, no. We agreed. We're going to do it, and we're going to leave it. And I trust that God's going to take care of it after that. When I was in that that season of life in which my life was just solely focused on making more and more money, um, I remember having a conversation with my dad, and it was was almost always about, about money. And I was just trying to figure out how to make more, and it was stressing me out, and and my dad asked me this. He said, Cody, are you, are you giving faithfully? I said, yeah. He said, are you being generous? Ugh, generous. Oof, that's a good question. And he said to me, he said, if you are doing what you're supposed to do, you're doing your part, then relax. Trust God that he will figure it out for you. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, well, you probably should step up because you can't expect God to do his part if you're not willing to do yours. So I thought, okay. And so then ever since then, it's been a journey of trying to find this freedom. And I got to tell you, yeah, there's been material benefits and I have a life that I could have never afforded or expected. And now that's great, but the, the real, I think the real privilege here is the freedom that I've experienced in my own mental health and in my relationships is it doesn't control me. And in those moments when I start feeling, I can go, okay, God, no, 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 we're not, we're not going into this with our fists and white knuckling. It's, nope, we've decided this is yours. And so I'm going to continue to trust that it's yours. And so here's the question and I'll end with. Is money your stopping point? In your pursuit of following Jesus, is this where you say, I'm no longer going to obey? This is where I stop. Or is this just another step along your journey of faith in which you get to learn to trust God in another arena of your life? And so if if you're willing to to move forward, yes, there's going to be some things you're going to have to do, but here's where I would like you to start with a simple prayer. It's going to be the hardest prayer for some of you you've ever prayed before. Lord, all of my money is yours. I come with open hands and I want you to take and do whatever it is that you want with this. And Lord, I will say yes to whatever it is that you call me to do. Terrifying prayer. But that's the beginning of finding freedom. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for um, just your insight that you give us into our own hearts. Um, Whether we are Christians or not, there is something uh, about how you can look inside of our souls and tell us things about ourselves that we can't even fully realize on our own. And Lord, one of those areas is, is money. It acts as a pseudo-savior, something that promises to do what only you can do. And Lord, uh, the irony of it is, instead of us controlling it, it controls us. And so today, we want to be people who say, this is not our stopping point, this is just another point along the journey of following you. And so we come with open hands and we say, Lord, it is yours. Do with it what you want. Whatever you say, our answer will be yes. Lord, we love you, we thank you. It's your name we pray, amen. All right, well you guys stand with me. Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. Um, I won't talk about money next week, and I can't promise in the next few weeks it might come up again. We'll see how you guys react, you know? I don't know but anyway. Anyway, thanks for being here. We love you guys. Have a great week, God bless.: We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at Seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.